welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. pray. Heavenly Father, inside of me are two uh, different creatures. I have an old sinful flesh and a new man. And the old sinful flesh does not like any of your directives and any of your commands. In fact, it hears your word and says, no, I want to do the opposite of what you say. But then there's the spirit in us that says, whatever you want, I'll do. I love you. Could you let the spirit win the day today? <laughs> Could you let us be filled with so much joy and, and, and pleasure of who you are? Uh, that we would just joyfully uh, live out your requests and live out your commands and, and dwell in your love today. It's in Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. kind of a crazy time of year, isn't it? And uh, even made crazier by the weather that we've been having. 60 degrees in December. And uh, if it's okay, I want to start off our discussion today by telling you what I was doing yesterday. Uh, yesterday, we had our annual trip downtown with the teens. Something great about being in the city of Chicago during Christmas. I don't know if you've ever seen the lights or the windows at Macy's. And we had all, all lots of fun doing that. Went to Giordano's, got some food, the Chris Kindle Market to see weird German culture. Don't know if you know anything about that. Um, and one of my favorite things about yesterday is something I got to share with the kids. When the train came in, I had something prepared for them, and there's some here who know what was waiting for them, and I was able to share with them donuts. It's great. And uh, this is from Do Right Donuts. This was my first experience with artisanal donuts. And uh, there was just something awesome about, at least for me, joining and giving donuts to kids and then saying this is how donuts should be. And it was, it was great, right? And what I experienced um, giving donuts and the joy of giving it is what you might experience this Christmas giving presents. I don't know if any of you have like Christmas lists from the kids, you know, and, and maybe it's filled with dolls and toys and the hoverboard and whatever, and, and you might know the joy of when their eyes light up, like, oh my goodness, you gave it, oh my goodness, you know. And you might even know like the anticipation of giving it. I don't know if you've ever gotten a, a package in the mail and you're like, I know it's not Christmas, but can I just give it today? Because I just can't wait until like they see, because it was better than the list. And you know, maybe you've even done that, you know, I know it's not Christmas, but here we go. Isn't this awesome? Right? Because what we find is there is tremendous joy in giving. 
And when you love someone, when you care about something, this is just an extension of your love. In fact, this is the principle I consider, which we know. It is this. Oh, it's up there. I apologize. Love gives gifts. Love gives gifts. In fact, I meet with people who are considering marriage, and we talk about the love languages. And do you know, one of the love languages is actually in giving gifts. You know, and it doesn't mean it has to be a big expensive gift or anything like that, but it's just a way, and we know this, that we can show love by giving a gift, right? And so when it comes to financial resources, what we see is this, that money is simply a tool that we have to show love when you break it down very simply. You know, if you look at money in that perspective, it can kind of free you up and be like, this is just an avenue for me showing love. And I believe when love is really working well, you want to give the big gifts. You know what I'm talking about? When I was growing up, I had a mom who always would tell me, you know, I would give you the world if I could. You ever heard that phrase? I'd give you the world if I could. It's a phrase I picked up in good parenting, and I've, I've given it to my kids every now and then. I'd give you the world if I could. But then I add my other, my other phrase on there. I've, I've edited it, and I said, if it would be helpful. <laughs> Not everything in the world is helpful. I'd give you the world if I could, and, and if it'd be helpful. There's something in us that says, I would love to give the sky. I'd love to give big. I'd love to give, you know, just blow your mind with how extravagant this is. Which leads me to my current dilemma. I'm in a gift exchange, and uh, it's with my in-laws. And I have a guy who's asked for these. He has only asked for underwear or the equivalent thereof. I ask, what can I get you? You know, he's a great gift giver. What can I get you to show, you know, I care? And he's asked for Hanes Comfort Soft Tees. And, like, I get it. Like, I'm a necessity guy. I understand what it is. Like, just give me what I need, you know. But this is to a degree like buying toilet paper. You know, <laughs> to a degree, you know, you're just going to get it dirty and throw it away. Anyway, um, wow, I didn't really even mean to use that reference. <laughs> Goodness gracious, you're welcome, though. And I'm cognizant of the fact, maybe I'll get to, like, the gathering, and, the, and I'm the in-law, and they'll be like, you're out, right? You bring an underwear to the party? Like, what is this? It's not what we do here, you know? So there's that pressure. And again, what I have found is, is, is this principle, that love, when it's really working well, gives exorbitant gifts. Exorbitant. I found that kind of old school word while I was researching this past week about the magi, exorbitant. It means unreasonably high. It means excessive. It means over the top. And maybe you've ever had the privilege of giving or receiving an exorbitant gift. They're both fun. <laughs> receiving an exorbitant gift and giving. There is something about it that is just, wow. It's pretty cool. And is this what we want to talk about in week two of our worship of the Savior? See, we're in a, a series where we watch the Magi and they're going to worship the brand new king and, and, and they're all concerned about how we're going to worship this king. Last week, if you didn't join us, you can catch up online. And last week we learned the heart of worship asks this. Are you ready? The heart of worship says, what can I give in response to what he gave? How can I respond? It's not just gimme, gimme. It's how can I respond to such great love? Now, today we're going to talk specifically about what is everyone's favorite topic, which is money in the church. That is sarcasm. And the reason that is sarcasm is because I know some people are thinking this. Pastor, do you not know the financial pressures we're under? The hoverboard is $600, right? 
Do you not know this is the season of gift giving? Do you not know this is the end of the year? Do you not know all the financial pressures? Come on, I should have slept in. All right. Or maybe you're thinking this, Pastor, <laughs> the friend you told me to invite to church came today. Thanks for preaching the money sermon, Pastor. Great. That's all they're going to think. Or maybe you're that person who just joined us again and you've been years away from the church and now you're just thinking, I told you so. They just want my money and here, this is the proof. But the reality is, that's not it at all. The reality is, I don't know how you talk about loving someone without talking about the love language of giving. I don't know how you do a series on worship without talking about so, something so central to the heart of worship. And I also know you have the Spirit inside of you. If you, if you think you're, if you confess yourself to be a Christian, I know the Spirit, there's something in the Spirit that says, I want to know what my Savior wants. I want to be led. I want to know what would please Him because He is worth me trying anything to please that King. And it's that Spirit that I hope again wins the day. That Spirit that says, give me some practicality. Give me some guidance on what I could do to worship the King who was born this Christmas. And it's that sense I hope works in your heart. It's the sense in which this was written today. Because, I don't know if you know this, I'm a, a, a preacher who gets preached to a lot. I probably listen to four or five sermons in a given week. I don't know how many sermons I've listened to on giving in the month of November. And the K-Love fundraiser like, takes forever in my mind. Anyway, um, but I recognize it's helpful. I recognize at the end of the day, it guides me, it helps me to honor the one who is king. And again, I hope that wins the day for you. So let's look at the story again. Let's look at uh, Matthew 2. Matthew 2 is saying this. Um, follow along with me, please. Um, top of, or the middle of the page there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother married. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. You know, may God bless our discussion of those words. <clears throat> you know, there's someone's name that you probably know, even though you've just walked in here today. Someone um, who's kind of famous in our world. It is this lady. Anyone know who it is? Mother Teresa, right? And uh, I don't know how much of her story that you actually know, um, but she is deserved of a good name. Uh, she worked in Calcutta, India, uh, there in the slums, trying to help those who were down and out, that, help those who were poor. And uh, she was fueled by a passion and a love for God. Mother Teresa said this when it was hard, you know, and she was just getting into working there and, and, and working with those in poverty in the slums. She said, um, of free choice, my God, and out of love for you, I have desired to remain and do whatever be your holy will in my regard. If this means giving up all I have, if this means dealing with some hard work, dealing with hard circumstances, she said, let love drive me to do that. And because of that, she founded um, the, the Charity of Missionaries. The Charity of Missionaries. This organization went on to have uh, aid helps and houses for those struggling with HIV AIDS or those with tuberculosis or those with leprosy. 
um, went on to help those who were homeless, orphans, uh, to, to make sure they had places to live. In 1979, she received a Nobel Peace Prize. And she received it for her work. Um, this is why it was given. Let me get my notes here. Um, her work to overcome poverty and distress. Well, most recently she's been in the news or been in our culture because of, well, a movie, The Letters. And uh, I don't know if anyone's seen this, if it's any good, I don't know, but The Letters is all a story about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa has a great name, and she didn't need a movie to give her a great name. She had it before the movie came out. But we've come to celebrate, transition with me, one whose name is greater than that of Mother Teresa. One whose love goes higher than Mother Teresa. The name that is above every other name. The name that when called upon saves, that name is Jesus. And what you need to know about the name of Jesus is this. Before we ever came to be, and long after we have gone, His name is great. Before you were ever born, people were speaking and carrying the name of Jesus and telling the story. Long after we're gone, Jesus' name will carry through the history of time. And the question isn't, will His name be known forever? It will. Rather, the question for us as Christians is this. Will we or won't we be involved in propping up God's great name? It's already great and it'll be great without us, but the question you have as a Christian, will you be involved in propping up this name for all to see, in propping up Jesus for all to see? And we understand how to prop up a name because we're in a season of presidential campaigning. I won't get into that. GOP debates, I won't take sides. But let's say there is someone that you really uh, think would do a great job as president. If, if you want them to become president, if you want to prop up their name, what is one thing you can do for their campaign? You can give money, can't you? You give money and you prop up that name. You give money and they make commercials that we now have to see. And you give money and now they're you know, in the polls and, and they have greater resources because you're propping up that name through financial resources. We understand that very well. Dear Christian, this is how our financial treasures and our gifts can be used to the glory of God. Do you know that? You know, and I don't know if you're compelled by that dream. The dream that no matter, um, no matter when or where we find ourselves, that his name will be great in our generation, that he will use me to prop up that name. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had someone from our synod uh, tell us about the work the, the larger church body is doing. That the name of Jesus is being carried to places like Nepal and Pakistan. The name of Jesus is being carried to China, to Japan, to St. Lucia, where I had a seminary buddy work. Um, the, the name of Jesus being propelled all those places. Why? Because people are propping up the name through financial resources. It's been my dream that the name of Jesus would be propped up in this community, maybe through a ministry called Amazing Love. That when people come here, they would know the greatness of God. That we would, in an excellent way, prop up the name of Jesus so they could meet him. That's the dream. You know, it's interesting in the Magi story that the gifts that were given helped the family. Scholars believe after this account um, that uh, they went and they escaped to Egypt. That is because King Herod was, was uh, thinking there was a new king born and he wanted to crush him. And so you might know this, but he killed all infants two and under. And so they went to Egypt. And while they were in Egypt, uh, some scholars believe it was the gifts of the Magi that sustained that family. 
It was the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh that sustained them in Egypt to live on so that they wouldn't have to worry about how to work and go in Egypt there. And it's, just, it's interesting to me. Because if I was God the Father looking at my son, I could have like put a bubble around him and provided in miraculous ways like manna and quail in the Old Testament, right? I could have done that. But one of the things I'm astounded by is how God still contents himself to use earthly means to do his bidding. It's astounding. You might ask, why isn't Jesus preaching today? Why is this fool up here and I'm a fool according to the Bible? Why? Because he contents himself to use earthly means to do his bidding. This is another vision we get on money. Why, 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 why does he need our money? He doesn't need our money, but he contents himself to do our bidding through the earthly means to propel his name and to extend his kingdom. Now let's look at the gifts that the Magi brought once again. Uh, these were gifts based on verse 11 of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. Now gold, we know, is still very valuable, right? Right? I don't know if you've seen any of those cash for gold stores, you know. don't know what it's going for. I don't know if that's a good deal. It doesn't sound like a good deal to me. Anyway. Um, and then I brought with me today frankincense and myrrh. Um, I'll also put them out on the info booth if you'd like to uh, smell them and, and see them. And uh, so frankincense was very expensive at that time. Frankincense is actually uh, tree rosin or tree sap. Um, tree rosin, tree sap, when I open it, Smells like musk. Smells delicious. Um, and it, it's a highly expensive perfume. Myrrh is the same, made from tree rosin or tree sap. Don't know if you know that. You're invited again to smell them after the, the service. Um, and while we um, don't know too much more about frankincense and myrrh, what we do know about all these gifts is that they were expensive, <laughs> they were exorbitant, they were excessively high in that culture. Now we look at the way the Magi worshipped, and this is what I wanted to ask. As they present gifts worthy of a king, I wanted to know when we present our gifts, are our gifts worthy of a king? When we come before him with our gifts, are we proud of what we brought to King Jesus? Or not? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a rich person. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I, I've never been rich. Um, in fact, uh, right now it's actually a struggle for me. I want to assure you this isn't about being rich or poor. Um, consider this passage with me. In, in the New Testament it says this, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. <laughs> See, God is not looking over you and saying, you know, um, you have to give more than what you have. You have, you have to give more than, than, than what I've given you or anything like that. He, he just understands this is in proportion. And this is our first principle. How do you give gifts worthy of a king? This is practically speaking. This is very practical. This is it. That you give in proportion to what God has given. And, and if this is the principle, even little children can bring gifts worthy of a king. Right? Even little children can say, here I got Jesus. And Jesus says, man, you, I am king to you, aren't I? There's this beautiful story in the New Testament. Jesus was sitting down at the temple. And at the temple, people, I, I guess, had the offering baskets just sitting out. And uh, people were chucking in bags of, of, of silver and gold and things like that. And, and do you hear this one about the widow? The widow came. What'd she bring? Pennies. Pennies. And Jesus was like, whoa, 
Do you look at her? Like, she gave huge. She gave exorbitant. And everyone's like, dude, she, he, she gave pennies. What's going on? But you guys don't know. Jesus knew her heart. Jesus knew, guys, this is all she had to live on. And when you talk about proportion, she gave 100%. You can't give higher than that. She had honored me at king through pennies. My friends, I want to convince you, giving gifts worthy of a king is about proportion. It's not about rich or poor. Next, more practicality. Gifts fit for a king. I want you to consider this passage. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And so in Malachi, in this passage, it talks about giving um, honor or gifts fit for a king are this, that they are the first of what we got and they're the best of what they got. The first and the best. You know, there's another story to illustrate this. So the two first brothers of the Bible. Their names were Abel and Cain. Abel, he brought fat portions of, of his lambs and fat portions of the sheep as offering to God. And it says Cain, he just brought some, some veggies, some of his crops. And a pastor named Craig Rochelle had a sense of humor about it. He's like, this wasn't about God being a meat eater or liking meat over veggies, even though that'd be smart. But anyway, um, this was about Abel's heart. When it came to Abel's offering, it was first and best. Where Cain, I don't know what he was led by. Maybe he was led by guilt because my brother brought something, so I guess I do that, right? And so first and best still transcends. What would first and best look like? Well, very practically speaking, um, a benchmark in the Old Testament, what was demanded in the Old Testament was 10%. In fact, that's why the prophet Malachi was so upset. When you lived in that culture, in that custom, in the ceremonial laws, 10% was demanded. That's it. You follow God 10%. And so you're robbing me, Malachi says. You're robbing God if you don't give that 10%. Now, in the New Testament, has God given us more or less of the revelation? Has God given us more or less of his resources? Has God blessed us more or less than those who are expectant on the Savior? Um, there is freedom to give any percent. But Christians, even in the New Testament, have seen 10% as a benchmark. Christians who are still asking a king, well, what can I give, have seen, okay, when you set things up, you gave 10. And so they're still rallying around 10%. But I want you to know you can give more. I want you to know if God has blessed you with more, you can give more. See, God gets our first and best. But here's where some might be stuck. And here's where you might never go past this point. It's, it's if you ask, this is just one way to get stuck. It's if you ask this question. I'll give this way when. I'll give this way when. And you can fill in the blank for whatever when. It's, it's a pattern of stuckness. So I'll give this way when my kids aren't so young and the budget isn't so tight. I'll give this way when the kids don't need a car and I don't have to make the car payments. I'll give this way when the kids aren't in college because do you know about college? Oh my goodness. I'll give this way when, you know, I get the raise. I'll give this way when the bonus comes in. I'll get this way when, and, and the reality is, until when becomes now, this will never happen. So this is not pressure, but the reality is until you determine that when is now, you'll always be stuck and you'll always find a new when. But pastor, why are we talking about this? It's not just about the church, you know, 
Are you doing okay, pastor? You got enough finances? I wish I could remove myself with this whole congregation. I wish I, for this portion of the sermon, would just be gone so you could just know this is about where your heart is at. And this is about honoring Jesus as king because this is what love does. Love doesn't ask, do I have to? Love asks, do I get to? Do I get to respond? Because this is our rallying point. Regardless of where you land, regardless of where you are, at Christmas, love gave. And that's why I'm here. Before I ever wanted to follow Jesus, before I ever knew to give, love gave exorbitantly. See, God the Father, He didn't just give money. Money would have been too easy. Money is really easy. You know, the swipe of the credit card and the, and the, the cash and the, all that, that's really easy. But what did love give from the Father? I don't know how you read John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's us, that He gave His Son. How many of you of parents would be willing to give up your child? <laughs> how many of you would be willing to watch them suffer and die for things they didn't do? Are you seeing the exorbitant love of God yet? And then Jesus came. Did Jesus give exorbitantly? (laughs) I bet Jesus in front of Pilate would have just asked, if this would take you like two billion, two kajillion, I'll pay it, right? (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what he was asking in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Father, if there's another way, like I own gold, you want gold? God said, no gold. No, no. He said, your blood will do. Your life will do. What I want you to know is that God gave. And that God's heart was open to give. (laughs) He wanted to give. God wasn't like tight-fisted, clenched, saying, never! God was like, here you go, guys. (laughs) Here's my son. And the son said, here you go, guys. Here's my life. I love you so much. And now remember what worship is. Worship is merely a response. And the heart of God today is not heavy-handed. Do this or else. Do this to win your salvation. Do this to be right with God. The heart of God is, how are you going to respond, kids? (laughs) What are you going to do? And with that, I really see an invitation going on. Are ready to close with three invitations? I'll try to keep this brief. Three invitations God has for you today. And the first invitation is that to trust. Okay, in the Bible, there's this passage that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, what God knows is that we're tempted to lean on our own understanding. What God knows is we're tempted to lean on our own bank accounts. What God knows is we're tempted to lean on our financial advisor and the state of the economy and what my 401k is doing and not this. He is saying it's so much better when you trust in me. It is so much greater when you know I hold you. You know what it is to be held by a father? I remember there was one time I went to New Ulm, Minnesota, where our college is, and they had this statue of Herman the German. Crazy German culture. And I I don't know why, but that day I was particularly afraid of heights. I remember looking over and just feeling like I was floating, like there was nothing in front of me, and I was scared out of my mind. But that day I remember my dad holding me. And that day I remember trusting that, okay, this is scary and it looks weird, but he's got me and he has yet to let me go. 
Do you guys remember ever of a dad holding you? That's what God invites you to do today. He says you want true peace over your finances? It isn't what you're going to figure out. And it isn't if you're rich or poor today. It's an invitation to be held by him. And how do we put our trust into God than by putting our money where our faith is? By putting our money where our faith is, not our mouth, where our faith is, and trusting him to hold us. Because the financial world always looks scary. The economy and my job status and everything, it always is. Like I'm afraid of heights and I'm up there, but God says, I'll hold you. Don't you know that? Trust in me. Second invitation. You're invited actually to be blessed. To be blessed. I, I kid you not to be blessed. Do you know who really loves sermons about giving? It's those who've been taught to give this way. And do you know why those who have been taught to give this way love sermons about giving? It's not so they can say, look guys, I'm better than everyone else. That's weird and it makes me vomit as a Christian. And that's bad. No, they love it because they have been changed. It's because they heard a sermon like this once upon a time and they took up God's challenge to do it this way and what they found on the other end is that they never wanted to go back. They never wanted to go back because they're only drawn closer into God and closer in to see how good he is and how much peace he can provide and how much blessing he pours out. Do you know there are so many promises about this? I told you about the promise of Proverbs, the, the one that said this, trust in the Lord. Do you know how it ends? Um, it ends this way, or, or sorry, the first fruits, sorry, the next passage is this. After first fruits, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Crazy. Or Malachi. Do you know how the story ends? Malachi was going off. You remember him going off earlier today? Malachi ends by saying this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven so that's so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And, and what you need to know, God's the X factor. What doesn't God hold? God holds your health in his hands, your opportunity in his hands, uh, um, finances in his hands, everything you have you gave. What can't he give you? Jesus would refresh this teaching in the New Testament. He'd say, whatever you reap, you sow. And so if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow in abundance, you will reap in abundance. Now at one point, this isn't about I'll give God $10 and he'll give me 100 But if you test God in this, this is what I know. You'll be blessed. <laughs> I just know that. If you test him in this, you'll see I'm glad I did it this way. And that is what he's inviting you to. The final thing. The final thing he's invited you to is joy. Joy was all over this lesson. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now in the Greek, it literally reads, They rejoiced greatly with much joy. <laughs> you couldn't put it any stronger. They rejoiced greatly with much joy. They were going out of their minds. They were just so like happy. They were high-fiving and they were celebrating. They were shouting and they were so joy-filled that they wanted to present their gifts. And so I don't know if you remember a sermon called Get to Give, but that's really this essence. This is not a have to give. Jesus did the have to's. We're left with the get to's. This is a get to give. You want to have joy? 
give to people you love. Give them donuts and experience joy. You want to have joy? Give to your kids this Christmas and you'll have joy in their hearts saying, thank you, Dad. You want to have joy? Give to your Savior because he gave to you and this is how we respond. Amen. Please stand.